Welcome to the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, where we make sure your life will be changed for the better, one idea at a time. Rabbi Friedman is the number one voice of clarity on moral and social issues. So what are we waiting for? Let's go change the world. I was thinking about this. What exactly is happiness? How is it different from contentment? Or is it different? What is the difference between contentment and happiness? Because in this series on American idols, happiness is the official idol. Because we are officially here to pursue happiness. We are here engaged in the pursuit of happiness. Of course, that needs a little commentary. It's too simplistic. But what what is happiness, and when is it idolatrous, and when is it healthy? So what is the difference between happiness and contentment? We use the words interchangeably, I'm sure. I'm content to live in the house that I live in, and I'm happy to live in the house that I live in. Same thing? Let's work on this definition. Contentment means I don't have what I need. I don't have what I want. But there's a method. If I work hard, I can get there. So I am content to do my job, which will bring me the things I need or want. So contentment doesn't mean retirement. doesn't mean I have everything I need, I've got nothing more to do with my life. So it could be that you're working very hard. It could be that you're even stressed, but you're content. Contentment would mean I am accepting of my burden. I have a difficult job, it's sometimes stressful, it's sometimes exhausting, takes all my time, but I'm content because I accept it and I'm willing to do it. The person who objects to their work or to their job, that's a lack of contentment. If you don't want to be doing what you're doing, that's a lack of contentment. So contentment would mean, or in some way, be related to maturity. There's a certain maturity that says, you know, this is what I have to do, then I'm willing to do it. If this is my job, you know, uh, you're in the army, then, then you, you follow the rules and you become a good soldier. You don't want to be in the army? Well, but you are. So maturity, a little wisdom would say, if this is what you are, and this is where you are, and this is what you need to do, well then, be content to do the best you can do at, at this job. Immaturity, I don't want to, but I don't want to be here, but I don't like doing this. It's a little immature. But what is happiness? I think it's different. 
a different experience than contentment. So let's take a look at what happiness is supposed to be, and then it'll be easier to see how it's misused when it becomes the idol. One of the things about idolatry, and there are many aspects as we're covering it in the series, there's the fact that it's false. False God is an idol. There's the fact that it is helpless. It never produces what it promises. And there's the fact that it can't even help itself. How can it help you? But there's another thing about idolatry. Idolatry isn't only a rejection of God or of the oneness of God. It's not like you think God created the world and the idolater thinks his little statue created the world or runs the world or whatever. The first two of the Ten Commandments, I am God your God, you shall have no other gods, that basically sets up the two columns, the right and the wrong. I am God your God, that's true. All, all things that are true belong in that column. You shall have no other gods covers everything else that isn't holy and true. So, for example, any sin, even though it doesn't deny God's existence, any sin belongs to that category of other gods. And that's for two reasons. Firstly, if you are compelled to sin, any, you eat a non-kosher sandwich. What force, what compelling reason made you eat it when God says not to? So it's idolatrous in the sense that you have more than one boss. God says no. Something else said yes, and it was yes. That's another God. So although you're not denying God by eating non-kosher, but in the bigger picture, any sin is a denial of what is true. Because sins are false and mitzvahs are true. So those two commandments basically cover all the commandments of the Torah. I am God, your God, covers 248 positive commandments. You shall have no other gods, basically covers 365 prohibitions, which together make up the 613 commandments. So every sin is a form of idolatry. So again, the first reason is because you're following the dictates of something other than God. Why is, why is there more than one voice? Why is there more than one authority? But that's when you commit the sin. The truth is that the sin itself, even if no one commits it, the sin itself is another God. And that's because it is outside of God's pleasure. 
That which gives God pleasure is godly. That which God dislikes, rejects, is ungodly. So anything that brings you closer to God belongs to the right column. Anything that distances you, that alienates you from God, that puts distance between you and God, belongs to the negative column. And in a generic sense, that would be called idolatry. So, happiness seems a little um, outside or beyond the pale of holy or unholy. Is there a commandment to be happy? Is happiness godly and sadness is ungodly? Is happiness a mitzvah, sadness a sin? So why would this even be an issue? People want to be happy. Fine. Go for it. You worship happiness? Who cares? I mean, happiness is not a moral issue, it would seem. So if you want to be happy, go ahead. You want to worship happiness? You want to, you want to devote your life to pursuing happiness? What's wrong? And if you're not happy, okay, so you're not happy. You're entitled to your misery too. Where's the moral issue here? How is this even a question of holy or unholy, godly or ungodly? What exactly is happiness? Now, in, in Torah, in Jewish life, simcha is not a particular individual mitzvah. It's not one of the 613. But it is a moral condition, whereas sadness is an immoral condition. Primarily because godliness, morality, is pro-life. I don't mean it in... Uh, Life is godly. Death is ungodly. Life serves God's purpose. Death does not. Or not directly, anyway. And therefore, joy is alive. It therefore belongs to, to the uh, right column, to the godly. Sadness is lifeless, it therefore belongs to the ungodly column, even though there is no particular commandment forbidding sadness. So in a general sense, when God says, I place before you a choice between life and death, choose life, choose life means be happy, don't be sad. It doesn't Choose life doesn't mean don't kill yourself. So, the happiness is a vehicle for everything holy, even though it's not an individual mitzvah. It's like the precondition for all mitzvahs. And sadness, although it's not a sin, is a precondition for all the sins. Because when you start to lose life, 
then you're drifting away from everything good and holy. So to be happy is in a sense bigger than any mitzvah. Because all the mitzvahs depend on it. And so the general principle is, ivdu es Hashem b'simcha, serve God with joy. Which, which doesn't just mean when you're serving God, smile and be nice and do it happily. It means serve God by being happy. In very simple terms, if you are God's creation and you live in God's world and you try to live by his commandments, that itself should be a cause for happiness. If you're a guest in his house, on his planet, you should be happy. It should make you happy. To be unhappy in God's world is like being a sullen guest in somebody's house. It doesn't endear you to the host. And so why, what is the reason for our happiness? Serve God by being happy. Happy about what? Just happy to be included. Whether you're doing a good job or not, well, that's, that's a serious question that's, uh, that deserves some attention. But before you even get there, are you happy being in God's world? Again, this is different from contentment. If we think about the obligations, the, uh, the job, the mission, there you can describe your willingness as contentment. Life can be difficult. The world can be rough. The ride is not always easy. So you need to be content with your mission because it's very easy to be discontent. But happiness is different. Happiness doesn't apply to your mission, to your performance, to your job, to your role. Happiness is the result of a free, a free trip, a free ticket. The fact that you're invited for the ride, that's the cause for happiness. And what is the happiness? The happiness is the feeling that I am getting more than I deserve. Which makes it very different from content to do my job. Happiness comes from the feeling or from the realization that God gives more than we ask. Life itself. We don't earn it, we don't deserve it, we don't ask for it. It's given. And when we feel like we're getting more than we deserve, we're getting a free gift, that should make every creature on earth happy.
So before we get into the details of why are you here, what is your purpose, what is your job, and maybe you don't like this particular job and you wish you had somebody else's job, before we start comparing, or even an animal looking at a human being and thinking, why do I have to be the animal? Why can't I be the human being and you be the animal? That's a matter of contentment. The animal is content to be an animal. The mineral is content to be a mineral. And in, in some mystical sense, every creature, every, every substance on earth has contentment. Otherwise, the world would be completely dysfunctional. Nature would break down if God's creatures were not content to be what they are. So there is a certain contentment which comes from humility. If this is what I'm needed for, then that's what I'm going to do. So the animal is content being an animal, the vegetable is content being a vegetable, and uh, the mineral is content being a mineral. Only the human being messes up. And we mess up many ways. A person can be miserable because he just doesn't want to exist at all. A person could be miserable because he wants to exist, but not like this. I want to be like that. Or he's miserable because he doesn't want to be here. He wants to be there. Or he's miserable because he doesn't want to be now. He wants to be some other time. like the person who can't grow up. He wants to remain a child. Or the child that can't be a child. He has to be an adult before he's 12. So all of these miseries are forms of malcontent. I'm not content with what I'm given. But that doesn't mean you're not happy because they're two different experiences. A person can complain about his role in life and he can do it happily. I love life, I love being alive, I hate being in this country. Not a contradiction. People who have problems, even serious legitimate problems, are not necessarily unhappy although they're not content. So Tevya, who complains, would it spoil some vast eternal plan if I were a wealthy man? He's not content with his poverty, but he loves life. I think that's what makes him so endearing. He's a lovable guy because he loves life and part of it is he loves to complain. So being discontent doesn't mean you're not happy. And that's a big, it's an important distinction because every person who is not content with what he has will become suicidal. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't leave many 
too many people alive. If every time we were un, not content, we were also unhappy, we would be a very sick society. We are happy even when we're not content. Now, we should be content, but that's a different story. Happiness, therefore, means glad to be alive. Why are you glad to be alive? Because it's for free. It's a gift. The greater the gift and the greater the, uh, the undeservedness, the greater the happiness. So if a person thinks, I'm not doing such a good job at my uh, mission, my purpose, I'm failing, I'm, uh, I'm sinning, I'm destroying everything in my path. What is there to be happy about? If that, if that was true, then you have more reason to be happy than the average guy. Because the happiness comes from the fact that you're given life, not just once when you're born, but every day, every moment of the day, you are given life and you really don't deserve it. I mean, nobody deserves life. But you really don't deserve it because you're so bad. So the worse you get, the happier you better be. That is the nature of happiness. If you're getting away with murder, how could you not be happy? The least you can do is be happy. Because if you're getting away with murder and you're not happy, what's the point? Where's the fun in that? The fun in getting away with a sin is that you continue to get life for free even though you know that you don't deserve it. That's the fun of it. So serving God with joy means serve God by being happy. Because to be happy in God's world, to be happy to be included in his creation, that itself serves God. That itself is a godly state of mind. Now when does happiness become ungodly, when does it turn into an idol? The pursuit of happiness almost implies that life itself is nothing to celebrate. You pursue happiness. Why do you pursue happiness? Where do you pursue happiness? Where are the hunting grounds? Where, where does one need to look to find happiness? If there's a specific way in a particular place where happiness resides, then you are an unhappy person. To make happiness a pursuit suggests that just living and breathing is no reason to be happy. We're told that the word neshama 
soul is actually related to the word neshima, which means breathing or breath. Our soul, which is the gift of life, should be celebrated and, and enjoyed with every breath. So if breathing doesn't make you happy, and you are a breathing, living human being, and you're going to pursue happiness tomorrow, then today you are unhappy. And that's not kosher. Happiness is not a pursuit. You don't have to do anything or go anywhere to find happiness. So, one of the definitions of idolatry, God gives you a planet that works. It's warm because of the sun. It's uh, romantic because of the moon. I don't know, what does the moon do? Whatever. So it's romantic because of the moon, and it's, uh, you can navigate by the, by the stars. All these things make life livable. If you worship one of those things, you are committing idolatry because those things already are. They are a given. To worship them means that you have to reach for them, that you have to go somewhere, do something, behave a certain way in order to achieve, to attain that which is already given. So, I mean, the, the classical literal idolatry, you take a piece of wood and you fashion it into a statue and now you worship it. The wood was already given. It's yours. Why are you pursuing it? Because worship is a form of pursuit. Why are you trying to reach it when it's already yours? And in some way, you're superior to it. So if the sun was created to keep us warm, then it's worshiping us. How did that get turned around to where you have to worship the sun? Life is given. The suggestion that you have to pursue happiness is idolatrous. Why, why are you glorifying a given, a simple fact? So, a spontaneous joy like children's happiness. A normal, healthy child is happy. What is he happy about? What's he, what's he got to show for himself? Nothing. Happiness doesn't mean I've achieved. Happiness means I'm getting life for free. So, let's party. <laughs> let's enjoy. So children's happiness is probably the purest, the most innocent, correct form of happiness because they're happy about nothing. And that's the right way.
or they're just happy about life, just about being. So we have blessings and we have prayers where we thank God and we praise God and we compliment him for making bread come out of the earth and for doing marvelous things with nature when we see a shooting star or thunder and lightning. Those are the details. Before you eat, you're going to enjoy the food. You make a blessing. You thank God. Those are the details. The generic background for it all is life itself. If having a good meal is a pleasure, then what is life itself? If being able to get up in the morning is a pleasure, then what is life itself? So, just being happy puts you in the column of godliness. Sadness puts you in the other column. So there's pro-God and there's anti-God. Happiness is pro-God. Sadness is anti-God. It's like, I don't want to play. I don't want to be part of this. I never asked, you know, these depressed, suicidal people. I never asked to be born. I don't want to be part of this. I don't like this. I... That's ungodly. You don't want to work with God. You don't want to be part of his plan. Happiness means you included me. I am thrilled. If I do a great job, I'll be thrilled. If I do a terrible job and you keep giving me life, I'll be even more thrilled. Before we had Beis Hana, I had a class with some uh, girls at, uh, at, at, the, at the university. And uh, they, they developed an interest in learning and Jewish activity. And there really wasn't very much Yiddishkeit activity for people their age here in town. This was back in the early 70s. So we got into a car and we drove to Detroit, the nearest girls' camp, just to, to see how uh, religious girls enjoy their summers. So, as the custom is, we washed for a meal and we made the bracha on the bread and then continued to eat all the way to Detroit. One of the girls who had just started to study and started to observe, at some point along the trip, she said, you know, we, we really should uh, bench and, and end the meal and start all over again. I said, no, it's fine. As long as you keep eating, you know, uh, and you don't have a break of more than 40 minutes or whatever, uh, it's, it's fine. She says, it can't be. I said, but it is. She says, no, it can't, you can't eat that much on one bracha. <laughs> it just doesn't, it doesn't justify 
You can't eat that much on one blessing. I mean, you just made the blessing on the bread, and now you can eat everything, all you want for the rest of the day? That's not right. So, the individual particular pleasures, you're going to eat this food or that food, each one has a blessing. But if you don't enjoy life itself, what meaning does a blessing over an apple have? You don't even like life itself. And you're thanking God for an apple? Maybe you shouldn't even be allowed to eat an apple. Which wouldn't be a bad idea. Anybody in a bad mood is not allowed to eat. That'll cure people. <laughs> I'll put them in a good mood quickly. So, happiness means simply the appreciation, the gladness, the rejoicing in being included. Just the fact that you're part of the plan. The rest is commentary, but important commentary. So the pursuit of happiness means life itself is not good enough. I'm going to find something to make it good. That's not godly. Being in God's presence, being in God's world, being included in his plan doesn't need any more justification. That itself should make us happy. Now, happiness is very different from pleasure. Because originally, it seems, people came to this country in the pursuit of happiness. Somewhere along the line, it changed. We don't want to be happy. We want pleasure. We don't want to be happy people. We want to indulge in pleasures. So even happy people experiment with drugs because happiness is not good enough. We need a rush of pleasure. We won't even get into that. The pursuit of pleasure, that's definitely an idol because it has all the, uh, all the faults of an idol. It's never what you think it's going to be. It does not make you healthier, stronger, better. In fact, it depletes you. You become dependent on it. You become a slave. Uh, it, it moves you in a direction that is certainly unsociable. The pursuit of pleasure makes you unsociable because no one can share your pleasure. People can share their happiness. You can't share pleasure. Pleasure is way too selfish. So it takes you away from people, away from society, away from family. You become narcissistic and you start to drown in it. So it turns against you like every idol. It doesn't benefit you, it harms you. 
You know, maybe we should spend uh, an entire program on that one. But I think it, it's so obvious, it's so, it's so blatant. Pursuit of happiness at least has some virtue to it. Pursuit of pleasure is hedonism undisguised. So, pleasure and happiness are not the same thing. Just a, a, a thought on the positive side of pleasure. The positive side of pleasure is when you get, when you have more than you need. Happiness is when you have more than you deserve. Pleasure is when you have more than you need. Like, for example, you sit down to a meal, you need to eat, you're hungry. And the staples, the bread and butter, the meat and the potatoes, that's what you need. Once you've had the meat and potatoes, then you have dessert. Now, what's the dessert for? You're not hungry anymore, because if you are, you should have some more meat and potatoes. You're not hungry anymore, but you're going to have dessert. The dessert is there strictly for the pleasure of it, because you no longer need to eat. You're not hungry anymore. So when you have more than you need, that's pleasure. You've got a comfortable bank account for all your needs. That's comfortable. When you have a bank account that is way more than you're going to need, that's a pleasure. So wealth is pleasure. Wealth means not that I have a lot, because maybe I need a lot. Wealth means I have more than I need. Now, of course, it's always a judgment call. How much do you need? In the good old days, righteous people would never allow money to sit in their house overnight. They would give it away. Because if I'm not spending it, then I don't need it. If I don't need it, then someone else should get it. People less virtuous would say, well, I don't need it right now, but I'm going to need it tomorrow. So I do need it. Well, maybe not tomorrow. Maybe next week. So I do need it. Okay, not next week. Uh, a rainy day. <laughs> Some rainy day I might need it, so I need it. Well, yeah, you can always make the argument. You need everything. But then nothing will give you pleasure. Pleasure comes when you know that you have more than you need. And this is true of everything. You have more love than you need. You have more food than you need. You have more money than you need. You have more space than you need. That's pleasure. Some people can enjoy wealth, and some people can't. They just don't know how. If I have it, I must need it. 
And if I need it, then what's the pleasure? So they ruin it. Pleasure means the, the feeling you get when you have more than you need. So people of modest needs are probably happier and enjoying more pleasure than people who have many needs. A little wisdom, a little maturity, cuts your needs down dramatically. Like children who are not mature or wise, their needs are endless. They need everything. And they need it now. So no matter what you give them, there's no pleasure in it. I'm bored. Well, I just bought you a new game. Well, yeah, I needed that one, but now I need another one. And if you walk into a toy store with a child, the needs multiply instantaneously. He needs everything he sees. So there's no pleasure. A person who becomes a little wiser, a little more mature, starts whittling away. Maybe I don't really need that. And maybe I don't need this. Maybe I don't need much. And then the pleasure is increased. Because if you have more than you need, that is pleasure. So, healthy happiness, kosher happiness means happy to be part of God's world. Contentment means happy to do the job that God gave me even if it may be difficult and challenging. And pleasure means the feeling that I have more than I need. I am rich. Again, that can be in anything. I have more friends. I have more family. Uh, some people get by on a very limited nuclear family. I have expanded, extended family. I have more than I need. So, serve God with joy means you don't have to pursue happiness. That would make it an idol. You just have to rejoice in the gift that we have. And that is, we were simply included in the plan just for being invited, you should be happy. In the negative, the Gemara says that uh, the, the threat of genocide in the days of Purim, where Haman was planning to, um, to do some nasty things, the Gemara says, what did the Jews of that generation do to deserve the threat. And the Gemara says it's because they enjoyed the party that the king made, which we read right at the beginning of the Megillah. The king made a big party and invited everybody, including the Jews. And they enjoyed it. And for that, they deserved the threat of annihilation. 
What is the sin of enjoying a party? So some say it was the food wasn't kosher. Some say the wine wasn't kosher. The, um, the utensils were, were from the, the spoils of the temple. They were not supposed to be used. But the really convincing answer, why did they enjoy the party? Not the food, not the drink, the party. What was it about the party they enjoyed? They were thrilled to be invited, to be included. In that case, it was a negative. You're thrilled to be part of the king's party? You're not thrilled to be part of God's party? And so it's not that they did anything evil. It's not that they did anything sinful. It was just that their, their head wasn't on straight. What are you so thrilled just for being invited? For being included? And perhaps that's why their punishment was nothing actually happened. But there was a threat of something happening, which is the opposite of the pleasure of being included. The punishment was, uh, I think you're going to be excluded. In principle, not in fact. So they sinned by having a wrong attitude and their punishment was that the people, the king and the people, had the wrong attitude towards them. So if it's wrong to rejoice in being included in unholy events or even just human events, it is certainly godly to be thrilled and happy to be included in godly events. And life itself is a godly event.